Hey, welcome back, guys. It's time for another good stream, Quarren stream from the mountaintop. So, um, I'm going to wait for a few folks to uh, show up here. I was thinking about bringing my guitar. Bit of a hike, but uh, I think if I could load my laptop into my backpack, I could carry that up and then I could carry a guitar with me as well. I'm, I'm trying to figure that out. Maybe I need like a soft case or something. It's a little bit of a hike to carry a guitar, but, but I feel like we need to do that. I feel like, like not singing to you guys is, is holding back something beautiful. And I never want to be the person that holds back something beautiful from you. I don't want to hide my light under a bushel, you know what I mean? I want to be able to just bust out that guitar and just sing beautiful, beautiful songs. Just songs that'll make the whole world happy in this tough time. All right, so let's see who's here. Hey, Alan. Hey, Sir Hat. Hey, Marcus Aurelius. Karen. Colleen. Organic Gardening in North Carolina. Hi, Dave. Dave here in North Carolina. <laughs> you're in North Carolina and your name is Organic Gardening. I never would have guessed that. Wow. Jeff. <laughs> I need to bring the guitar. You know, I was at a... Uh, I was at a... Um, a a uh, farmer's market once and this this girl this lady she's actually a boomer so what do you call a lady that like gets old like an older lady but um but she she had brought this she had brought this little like she called it a jam stick and it was like a one string little jammy instrument and she was playing around on it and then i had a guitar in the car so i got the guitar out and then um my friend leah had a uh, an accordion and she happened to have it so we ended up jamming you know there's actually a picture in my um, your my, my home nursery book so um, it's it's yeah we need to we need to do beautiful things like that <clears throat> it's just it's a little hard to carry it up a mountain one of these days what I want to do is actually take my camera and film the walk from my house up to the mountain and then do like a fast forward so it's like all the way up to the top and then I can do like a panorama from the mountaintop I think that would be really cool so <clears throat> you guys um, I actually went all the way into the city today for the first time in almost 12 weeks to do some shopping this uh, this day they they allowed us to loosen up on the lockdown a little bit to go shopping and I got in I got in early and I was actually able to get two shopping carts full of supplies um, and that was just rum so it's really it really actually was was really nice to just do something normal like like going shopping rather than you know falling down on the ground in the food forest, kicking and screaming and thumping my fists on the ground and, and saying things like, we're going to die, we're going to die, oh God, why, you know? So, you know, just to go into town was, was it was cool. I didn't bring my guitar, though. I should have brought my guitar. <clears throat> the Happy Gardener says, make one of those kids guitar porter. That's a good idea. Uh, <laughs> Organic Gardening in North Carolina says, well, I am pretty close to the South Carolina border. Yeah. <laughs> it's 
So, hello, Jerry in Middle Tennessee. You know, my favorite thing about Middle Tennessee, I think I've said it before, my favorite thing about Middle Tennessee is how green and beautiful things are in the spring because I get a lot of a lot of water through the winter. And then when spring hits in Tennessee, it is the most beautiful place in the world. Just gorgeous. <clears throat> this is not members only. Arch Enema's here. Nice to have you here. I, I'm going to do a members only uh, stream early this, this next week. We're going to organize that. Uh, this will That will be for... Um, the, the discussion of my new book, Florida Survival Gardening. So I'm going to, I've got my brain trust, my, my paying channel members, which I've, I've shared the book with them already. And then we're going to have a live stream to talk about it. And everybody can tell me what a bad job I did, you know? So there you go. I'm real sensitive about my writing. Uh, <laughs> Karen says I could stream some of the recorded songs for us. Oh, that's kind of a nice idea. I wonder, I wonder if I could figure out how to do that technically. I'm like, I can't get this stream to work, and I just have to hum them all, you know? Have, like, like graphics of sunsets kind of coming in and out, like a Windows Movie Maker sort of a thing. Uh, <laughs> Jerry says, tw until tonight, 28 degrees is a low. Dang global warming. Holy moly, May 8th in Tennessee, 28 degrees is a low. That is rough. Wow. <clears throat> so... I have a crazy food forest idea. And I tried talking to Rachel about it last night and she just stared at me blankly. Like, and then she said, after I had talked for about 30 or 40 minutes about, about the plan and how amazing it was, she just stared at me and she goes, I have to go to sleep. And then she like, went to sleep. So, um, I figured, you know, some things, some things I, I need to take to, um, it's like profit is without honor in his own, his own land. You know, I, I have to take it to you guys to talk about it. Maybe you won't fall asleep unless the, the hairy farmer is here in, in South Africa and then it's after midnight there. So, <laughs> um, Let's see what we got here. I'm kidding. It wasn't just rum. I put in a couple of cartons of cigarettes. It's a orange soda. 44 degrees. Wow. I, w I wouldn't mind 44 degrees right now. Sugar Creek Homestead of Tennessee says, David, it's beautiful and green and everything is blooming and it's a frost warning the next two nights. Wow. <laughs> Happy Gardener says, usually when your wife stares at you blankly, it's because she thinks you're nuts. I always assume she's just making a shopping list or something in her head, you know? But, okay. All right, here we go. Here we go. Picture, if you will, a gently sloping hillside. I don't know if any of you guys have seen uh, the permaculture orchard with that French guy. Well, he's French-Canadian, but, you know, he's not American. Um, the permaculture orchard, which was a, a Paul Wheaton production. And he's arranged the, the orchard into these rows. And it's almost like a, a shopping experience where people can 
take baskets down the the aisles of the orchard but the aisles of the orchard are packed with different plants so he has he instead of just doing pears in a row or apples in a row he's primarily an apple guy but he'll have like a an apple and then a plum and then a pear and then an apple so the varieties kind of stagger as it goes but then in between he's got you know raspberries and gooseberries and and whatever else so it's it's a it's an orchard system, but it's created in in strips, in kind of alleys. And I'm thinking, I have this quarter acre, almost, just under a quarter acre, food forest space at the top of my property. And it has a slope to it. And so I, I considered digging swales into the slope. And I, I may still do that. <clears throat> but... Um, generally what it is, is it's, it's a bunch of, it's a bunch of weeds and grass right now because I, I had it cleared of brush and everything when I first got in. We did, we did a lot of clearing and then I actually had a guy take a, uh, a bobcat and take out the huge rocks that were up there and knock down some of the, the trees and stuff. So I had a, a good space. So I have a gently sloping space that leads to kind of a rock terrace that drops down eight feet and then it goes into the flat, flatter area where my house is built. And then that goes down across a ditch to the flat area at the bottom, which is about a, uh, uh, it's a little less than a quarter acre, um, maybe a fifth of an acre area that's our, that's our garden space. And so this top area, it's sort of a gentle slope, so it's not like the, the rain rushes through there, and erosion is not that big of a deal. Like, I could garden up there without much trouble if I just ran the beds you know, along the edge of the slope rather than running them down with the slope. You never want to run down with the slope because what happens is uh, the water goes in the pathways and just tears big, big ruts. You don't want that to happen. You don't want the bare soil. But in my old food forest system in, in North Florida, um, if you look up David the Good food forest before and after, you'll find pictures of how I, I took this area in North Florida and transformed it into a food forest. And it's, it's astounding. I even did a, like an over, overhead pictures on, on Google, like the historic pictures to the more current pictures. And you can see how the whole land becomes forested in the front and green. It's really, really cool. So I'm thinking, I'm thinking of taking taking the same sort of food forest thing and 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 I've already started planting fruit trees up there so it's not like I'm starting from from scratch at this point but doing it in a series of of bands like like aisles and uh we we talked about doing um you know doing doing edible hedges fedges or whatever you know so you've got these edible forest hedges and any permaculture person will tell you that the most productive systems are the edges. The edges of a system are the most productive. So if you create a food forest and the entire canopy connects, your most, your most productive portions of it are the areas around the edge of the food forest where the sun is hitting it and it's allowing a, a wider range of species to thrive. So, you know, you have your big tree canopy, but if you go to the edge of the woods, as it's turn, turning into pasture or road or whatever else, you'll see more species that are competing for sunlight and everything else than when you get underneath the canopy. When you get underneath the canopy, it gets dark, and you can often walk through an old forest 
quite easily because the plant competition beneath the trees has been uh, almost eliminated by the by the trees. So, you know, I was thinking about this this idea of running things in bands, working with swale systems, and and creating edges. And I also would really, really like to have a lot of biomass and fertility on the ground and in the ground. And I would like to build more topsoil uh, because when it was flattened and cleared and everything, you know, the soil, the soil got disrupted and it's not as good as it could be. Some of the better soil is further down on the property because what happens over time when you have a mountainside is that things erode and the better soil works its way down. So I can actually see in the food forest system, the stuff that's planted at the top is weak and small. The stuff planted a little more down the slope is better. There's like a catch area and that area has much better growth. I've got corn plants closer to the bottom that are six feet tall and corn plants closer to the top that are two feet tall. So I can see the difference of the slope as it moves its way down. So what I would like to do is build in strips and work with those strips with aisles in between that are basically just cut grass kind of prairie type ecosystem a little bit of a little bit of space so <clears throat> you can uh, walk in between strips of food forest and and actively what I can do is actively improve a smaller space one of the the biggest problems when people are establishing a homestead and establishing gardens is getting enough fertility spread across the system so the whole thing does well. For example, if you have a small backyard, and we talked about mulch gardening, if you have a small backyard, uh, and you, it, it's very easy to just go and say, I'm going to get all the materials to make a couple of deep mulched you know, lasagna garden beds, like Patricia Lanza style. I'm going to do some lasagna garden beds and get all these cool materials. So I'm going to go get a, you know, a couple of sacks of used coffee grounds, I am going to go gather some seaweed. I'm going to go get some um, cardboard for a weed block. I'm going to get, you know, I'm going to rake up some straw. I'm going to go cut grass or whatever. So you make a couple of beds or even just one bed. Like say you make a little five foot by 10 foot garden bed. You can gather all those materials for a small space and make a small area super fertile and super productive and build soil. But... Like I've said, with my almost 7,000 square feet area of, of gardens, I cannot lasagna garden that entire space in any kind of a reasonable way, especially considering that my climate is always in the 70s and 80s, uh, you know, year round. And so decomposition levels are super high. We've got a lot of rains and, and, and biological activity is, is just insane. So the, the whole place is this massive digester. You know, the tropics are a massive digester. This is why when you do slash and burn agriculture, uh, you know, they slash the forests down, burn it, and whatever material is left on the ground, they farm on it. It's really a big, big problem to try and, and maintain fertility. Most of the fertility is in the forest. So what I want to do with the food forest system is give the ground the most fertility possible in small spaces. Trying to do it on a large space is really difficult. If I was to try and, and get enough materials, like, like for example, I can get a load of um, sugarcane scrap. So it's called bagas. I can get a load of sugarcane scrap for, 
it's about about $130 US for a dump truck of it. That's an unacceptable price because when that dump truck dumps, you realize that that's only going to cover to a good depth, maybe 20 to 25 feet square. So if I were to do that, I would have to spend a ton of money just to drop it and it's going to rot out um, by, the next, by the next year. So what the food forest answer is, is to grow mulching material in place. So if you can grow mulching material in space, this is something that I, I used to do when I, would, when I would give my food forest tours in North Florida and I would have a group of people come through and I would do those a few times a year. Um, I, would, I would go to say, you know, a fruit tree and I'd say, do you know how much, you, you wanna watch me mulch this tree? And people would be like, where's the mulch? And I would just go chop a chunk out of a set of weeds that was growing nearby, throw them on the ground, and then I would reach up and I would grab a few chunks of tree. You know, I've got like a tree right in front of me right here. I would take these chunks of tree and I would chop it with my machete and drop them around there. And there were various plants that I was growing, uh, Tithonia diversifolia. Uh, mimosa trees, uh, Albizia gilibrisans, um, locust, you know, I had, I had various trees. I had, um, what is that tree called? Polonia. I had Polonia tomentosa. Don't ever plant those things. It's the worst tree in the whole world. Fantastic. Fantastic tree. Um, super biomass creator. Um, but there's, there's less invasives, uh, less invasive trees you can use better. Polonia can just totally take off. But anyhow, I had these different trees that I could just chop and drop in the system. I don't, you know, necessarily want to have to do that in all my annual gardens, but when I've got perennial, perennial systems, what I want to do is, like I said, I've got the slope, take a six foot band and maybe take six foot by 20 foot the first time, dig a bunch of holes in the ground, like just dig pits, dump in ashes, charcoal, fresh manure, kitchen scraps, whatever else. Dig the pits, cover the pits. So now I've got fertility down in the ground that can be found by the plants going on it. Now I already have some trees that are there in the ground. So the trees that are nearby those pits are going to find it or when the rainy season starts. Right now it's really dry. Um, and then over the top of that, a drop down, cardboard, you know, banana leaves, cut grass, whatever I can get all the biomass I can get, and then plant into that some of the nitrogen fixers and the other biomass creators, like they're, you know, the Tithonia diversifolia. It's really easy to just chop it up and use it over and over and over again for a mulch. So what I want to do is, is improve an area to a super high level, mulch it once with materials that I've brought in or gathered from, you know, the bush around and, and tree prunings hunks of log or whatever else. So I've got maybe six foot by 20 foot. And that first area, it's got bits of charcoal in it. It's got bones buried in it. It's got manure buried in it. There's a lot of biological like awesomeness, super concentrated fertility in a small space. Like I was making a really good, you know, like a lasagna garden or something. So that area right there is now going to become 
an island of super high fertility with a lot of chop and drop materials. And it's also going to have this incredible ability to, um, you know, to, to grow through the season, hold on to water, and, and just provide its own mulch. So I'm mulching once, and then I'm going to rely on the chop and drop. So vetiver grass. You know, I'll put lemongrass in there. But in between all this stuff, I want to, to tuck in a variety of useful species. But then I've got an alley in between. So the alley is just going to be a space where, where grass grows, where if, if I wanted to put pumpkins or something like that, I could use the forest edge effect to grow in crops that would, would go in between. I could hack you know some holes in there and, and plant corn or something like that. So as the trees and everything get, get bigger, I've got gaps in between the bands. So I'm thinking of, of a mixed multiple forest edge systems. And I'm, I may have to go wider. I might do like six feet and then six feet of space and then six feet and then six feet of space. But take those areas in between and make them super, super fertile and create places like bands along the edges of it where I've got so much vetiver grass and other stuff um, like in, tucked in between that I can cut and drop the mulch during the rainy season and it's going to hold the moisture in the ground for the entirety of the, the, the dry season. So that is my, that is my insane uh, idea right now that I've been chewing on for, for weeks looking at how almost like a two-dimensional hedge type system could be super productive because it's getting sunlight from both sides and it's accessible. Um, I like the randomness of most food forest systems, but I also really like the order of how my annual gardens work. And I was thinking if I worked in beds, the food forest in banded beds, it's going to slow down erosion. It's going to allow me to create some ideas of super, you know, some, some spaces of super high fertility. And then it will be, they will be islands where it's easy to go in. I got three feet from, you know, the center three feet to the center of the bed, so like six feet wide, three feet from one side, three feet from the other. It, it gives me enough space to grow things around the trees, but it's not that the trees will get totally you know, inaccessible like if I did a wider island than that. So that's my, that's my thinking at the moment. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take some questions now, uh, and then we'll, we'll talk more about the system. I'm going to stay up here until it gets dark because uh, I have a couple of older kids with me today. And so we don't have to, I don't have to take the baby home, so I can, I can stay and talk to you guys. Let me see here. I'm, I don't want to um, dodge these questions. Indy Canada. Nice to see you again. Indy Canada says, uh, uh, sends a super chat and says, Hi, David. I covered my quote-unquote tomato plants last night. So, does your mom know about these tomato plants? Indy Canada. I thought you were off that stuff. <sighs> okay. Because of negative 2C temperature. Oh, that's commie measurements. What is that in like freedom units? Negative 2C. Negative 2C? I think that's cold. Okay, so it's gonna it's gonna be cold. Negative two cold temps. I wrap clear plastic cage to cut holes in plastic. Okay. No, don't cut holes in the plastic. Here's here's the Here's the important thing for, for us for frost protection. Those of you that are going to go through a frost event, 
the overnight protection is the is is most important. If you are in a situation where the next day it's going to warm up again, this is the case in a lot of the a lot of the South, and with some of these these late spring frosts, it's you know it's projected to hit say negative two. No, I don't even know what that is. I don't I don't even want to know. I'm an American. I don't need these godless commies telling me how to measure my 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 bath water here. Negative two communist units. C is for commie. All right. That's enough. Let's go to a commercial. So let's say it's going to be 27 degrees Fahrenheit. Fahrenheit's a good American name. Uh, you know, 27 degrees Fahrenheit overnight. But the next morning, usually what happens is it, you know, it gets up to 35 or 36 or whatever. And maybe the, you know... The high for the day is 45, and then maybe that night it might drop down to 29 or whatever. That could. So what you want to do is protect them through a short frost event. This is not like long-term protect protection. So the in the book, Push the Zone, I, I wrote all about like frost protection and pushing tropical plants, and, and there's some really insane methods that I read about and researched and then tested and and wrote about in the book Push the Zone. But one of the things one of the things that's really important is to hold the warmth of the earth for short frost events. People will say, okay, you gotta protect from frost, you gotta put a lot of mulch down. That is not the case for short overnight events. For short overnight frost events, you want the ground as uncovered as possible. And, and then you're going to say, okay, David the Good, doesn't that mean that the cold is going to come down overnight and freeze the ground and hurt the plants? No, because you're going to cover. The ground has a lot of thermal mass. There's moisture in the ground, and there's a lot of thermal mass. And so the ground is going to hold heat and radiate heat upwards all night. So, that, so it's doing this. The heat is radiating upwards from the ground. If you put a plastic cover or canvas cover or you know you can what, what i would do is go to the thrift store and buy the old cheap like sheets and blankets and stuff for a few bucks the ones that had stains and were kind of beat or whatever my wife even stitched some of them together so i could make like I, she stitched four sheets together so i could cover this big tree for really cold cold nights so what you do is you throw that over and then overnight i would pull the mulch away and water the plants before the frost event so there's the water in the ground is going to transmit more heat than just drier ground with air pockets. So you cover it, and you're making a dome, and, and the thermal mass of the earth, there that warmth is coming up overnight, that will protect it from freezing. You'll be surprised. Um, you know, a lot of plants can handle temperatures down into the teens and 20s if you have that, that cover over the top and the ground coming up. Now, where mulch comes in, is if you are in a climate that is going to stay below freezing for multiple days. So, like, if you were going to carry something like canna lilies through the winter in Tennessee, it makes sense to put a lot of mulch down because the mulch is going to keep the harder frost from getting down beneath and, and, and create a, you know, a barrier over the ground, and it will keep the roots warmer, like a thermal blanket overnight. But for plants that are already above the ground and growing, Put that, put that cover over them and, and hold the heat in. So if you cut holes in it, um, it's going to 
let that warmth out. And like, like my greenhouse, one of the windows had a, a bad piece of Velcro or something on it and the cold got in overnight and it frosted the stuff that was near that window because the heat was getting out, the cold was coming in. So what you want to do is make sure that you're, you're holding onto that heat. Now, another thing you can do is if you only have a few plants, you could take five gallon buckets, fill them full of water, and then put the five gallon buckets right next to the plants and then cover the plants. And then your tomatoes will get through uh, because what that does is it creates a big, water is like awesome thermal mass. It creates a big thermal mass canister right next to it. It's like having a heater on your plants overnight. So um, that is my recommendation on frost protection for, for overnight frost situations. And this is gonna work. Um, the only the only thing you don't want to to have happen with the plastic, well, two things you don't want to have happen with the plastic. You don't want the plastic to touch the leaves because where it touches, the cold will transmit through and it'll burn the leaves and cause them to melt. So don't let the plastic touch the leaves. If you you know if you have to, if it's gonna if like the plastic is going over, you're better off with a sheet or something to hold it in. But uh, if you can keep the plastic off the leaves and secondarily. If the next day is going to be really warm and sunny, obviously don't leave the plastic on there because you may cook your tomatoes overnight. So I hope that's helpful, and it's good to see you again. I'm I'm glad you're I'm glad you're still around. It's been a while. <laughs> All right, so I want to thank Carolyn as well for the two dollars super chat tips for good information. Thank you, Carolyn. That's that's very good of you. Grime Knight sends a ten dollars super chat. Thank you, man. Much appreciated. Uh, yes, peas can take cold down into the twenties. They're, they're good for that early, early time. So <clears throat> hello, Tony from Manchester. Welcome. Glad you're glad you're here. Uh, let's see, here we go. Getting through here. Four day stretch, but overnight only below zero. Yeah. So. Okay, negative two commie units equals twenty-eight Fahrenheit American. Thank you from trans. Thank you for translating from commie units, Lake Lady. Much appreciated. <laughs> Our gentleman says, "My question: Did you bring a cigar and a flask for the dark? That'd be dramatic. That's a good idea. I don't have any cigars right now." <laughs> Um, Alan says the agroforestry academy has a bunch of vids and examples, uh, for different crops in exactly such a system. Fantastic. Thank you, Alan. I'll look it up. Agroforestry, uh, academy. Um, I am always interested in seeing people doing cool stuff. It, no matter what idea I've come up with, as Solomon said, there is nothing new under the sun. There's always... You know, we're, we're all working on our own bits and pieces, and it's just fantastic to, like, you know, when I, when I was making Dave's fetid swamp water, and I'm fermenting all this stuff for months and pouring it on gardens, and, and a lot of, like, Americans are like, oh, that's anaerobic. And then somebody says, you know, the Koreans have been doing this for centuries. And then I, I watch all these videos in Korean. I'm like, yes! There's <laughs> always somebody's figured it out, you know? It was really cool. Okay, plastic is touching the bottom. Light earth covering plastic. Good. <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> Canada says, I use Fahrenheit for indoor temps, outdoor Celsius, baby. Yeah, because you you don't want your commie neighbors turning you in for using those freedom units. <laughs> I had a, I had a friend of mine I used to work with, and he's like, he says, during the week, I'm a Calvinist. On the weekends, I'm an Armenian. It's funny. Uh, Ed says, King David. Talk about King David, for goodness sakes. There's no king but Jesus, baby. Ed says, King David, would barrels of water keep a greenhouse cool during the summer days? Yes, definitely. It will moderate it towards the, uh, it'll keep it cooler. I, I had my greenhouse closed with barrels of water in it, and it wouldn't, wasn't getting over like the upper 80s. Unbelievable. And it would soar over 100 without the barrels in it. So barrels of water make a big difference. Thermal mass works both ways. It will keep a greenhouse cooler. So if you forget to vent it, uh, it'll keep your plants from roasting. And then uh, overnight, it will keep them from freezing. It's, it's fantastic. Let's see. Hey, American Nomad. <clears throat> Bephemus spotted in Florida. News at 11. Hey, Kurt. Good to see you. I'm glad you're here. No cigars? Try some tomatoes. <laughs> Sir, I says, can I send you cigars? No, not easily. A friend of mine sent me cigars, and then when they got to the, uh, the, the customs, they charged me a fortune on import. Could not believe it. Uh, more than they were worth. <clears throat> Agroforestry Academy. Stefan Subkawiak. That doesn't sound like a French name. Yeah, that's the guy. I can never remember the last I'm so bad. I'm sorry, Stefan. Stefan, if you're watching, I love your work, man. You're my hero. I don't know how you managed to grow in such cold temperatures. I could never do it. Jaden, hello from Destin. Hey. <clears throat> Chastity says, do you have a link for all of your songs? No, not really. I have some of them on my, my Gumroad, uh, like as downloads. You can you can go to Gumroad. They're like a dollar a song or something like that. Uh, if you look up Gumroad, David the Good, you'll find some of them, but not very many. Um, I am compiling an album right now. Now that I've finished the new book, I have an album that is being compiled bit by bit, and I should it should have like 25 songs on it. Uh, a lot of them are ridiculous. No, I mean, they're all really serious. Really, really serious. I, I want to change the world and, and buy the world a Coke. Um, change the chicken fund to a cigar fund. I think chickens are more productive than cigars. <laughs> but I appreciate it, Scott. Thanks for watching out for me. Reformed brother. <clears throat> Joseph said, Green Dreams and Agroforestry Academy are doing a collaboration. Cool. Good deal. You know who I was just talking to um, before I got on here was uh, Stephen Edholm from Skill Cult, who is one of the best YouTuber guys. He is, he's one of the guys that's actually worth watching rather than, you know, where we, instead of doing like these reality TV type show things, he's, he's an actual honest to goodness scientist, you know, he won't say that he's a scientist. He's, he's quite humble. He'll say, oh, I'm not really an expert at this, but he's done it 20 million times and he's he's way better than anybody you know. So he is an expert and uh, and science is not a degreed thing. Anybody can do science. As a matter of fact, I think scientists are more corrupt than probably the average person doing work in their backyard. We, we can look at stuff in our backyard and do things without um, grant money confusing the results. <laughs> do you wanna find how, how useful glyphosate is for you? Um, Yes, you do. 
Yeah, wash your hands, wash your hands. So skill cult, if you look up Stephen. But anyhow, I was talking with him. I'm, I'm trying to get him to co-write a book with me. But he's, uh, he's always got like a, a ton of stuff that, that he's doing. So hopefully we end up collaborating on something at some point. But if you're not subscribed to skill cult, Stephen is Stephen's great. He's not as handsome as I am, but he can be forgiven because he's probably smarter. Uh, just look up uh, skill cult on on YouTube. I it's hard for me to post a link easily. Somebody can post a link to Skill Cult if they can find it for me. Uh all right. So this food forest idea, we'll go back to it since nobody's got any more we don't have any more questions, super chats, anything else that I'm seeing. So <laughs> Sorry. Ben says thoughts on adding miracle grow to compost tea. I was thinking thoughts on eating miracle grow for compost tea. I read that wrong. Well, I'm putting my glasses on. Well, thoughts on adding it. Adding a miracle grow, we don't use none of that. We only use the good stuff like uh like pee pee. Uh, yeah, there's no, no, nothing wrong with that. Um, miracle Grow is probably better than, than most amendments you could stick in it. I, I've heard that the Scots company is like some sort of evil, massive company, but Miracle Grow works fine. Um, Steve Solomon told me that Dynagrow, which is popular with hydro, uh, hydroponics gardeners, is a really good balanced fertilizer. The, the problem... The problem, I think, is more with the, the chemical salt type fertilizer, the granular fertilizers, when you're not improving the soil and you're not taking care of the soil well. You throw fertilizer on it to get a yield out of sick ground. You know, you're turning the ground over and over again. It gets sick. It's getting dead. And, and you're burning it out with, with salts, killing microorganisms and everything else. I think if you have something like, you know, a a miracle grow and you use that for micronutrients and for feeding there's nothing wrong with that i mean that, that sounds like heresy but i'll tell you what with how many contaminants are in modern the, the modern organic supply right so you go out and you buy compost what's it have in it biosolids they have biosolids compost so everything that went down into the sewer uh, heavy metals Hormones, hormones that turn the frogs. <laughs> um, you know, all that stuff is going into the compost. You buy manure, the cows have been fed who knows what. The cows are eating grass that's been sprayed with amino pyrrolids, graze on herbicide. The herbicide goes through the manure into your garden and can kill your garden for like two years. I know, I lost like over a thousand bucks worth of plants. And multiple garden beds one spring because there was amina pyrrolid contamination in manure. So I know that if that stuff was in Miracle Grow, you wouldn't be able to sell Miracle Grow anymore. Uh, it's you're better off with stuff that's made in a laboratory that's made to be pure, just pure elemental fertilizers then you are going and getting a good organic amendment or raking up the straw, raking up straw. What's been sprayed on the straw? You know, somebody was just saying the other night, you know, you know, I think it was Alan, they spray weed killers to kill down the wheat before harvest. Like they spray it with herbicides to make everything die at once and then harvest it. 
So you go and you rake up straw for your compost pile. What are you putting in your compost pile? So if you're going and getting stuff from a, you know, from a lab, like Dynagro or Miracle Grow or any of those, you know, those things, you're probably you're going to have a much purer and safer product than using an organic amendment. Is that sick? That's sick. That's sick. I, I can't I can't tell people go out and get that rotten load of, of horse manure or cow manure. It doesn't make any sense. Because it will probably kill your garden. So you're better off buying 10 10 10 because that stuff is for farmers. It's not gonna kill their gardens. The organic amendment chain has been so compromised and screwed up. Yeah, if you want to make compost tea and throw some miracle grow in it, well, you know, I'd love to be an organic purist, but dang it, they're making it hard on us. Really bugs me. Really bugs me. Um, <laughs> I'm just like, I was so angry when I had my gardens get destroyed by amino pyrrolids. And, and not knowing what it was, trying to figure out, oh, is this a virus that some of these plants are starting to curl up? Like they start to curl and make these weird, weird patterns. No, maybe there was too much nitrogen in it. I mean, I did a video on this manure will kill your garden. You could see it on YouTube and people are commenting, you did it wrong. Horse manure is great. Horse manure is a great fertilizer. No, I'm, I'm literally at a guy's house. He's been using the horse manure from his farm. This old guy's using the horse manure from his own farm for years. This year, suddenly, a bunch of his tomatoes are all acting weird and curling up. He's like, I don't know what's going on. This guy isn't some newbie gardener who piled a bunch of fresh manure. He doesn't have the cow, you know, he doesn't have the horse leaving droppings. Go over there and poop on my tomatoes. And then and then it burns the tomatoes. It's not like that. The guy composts his own manure and he uses it every year for his garden. So I go and film it. And I'm like, this is all curled up because this manure is contaminated. And I said, did you buy any hay? Yeah, I bought him some hay, got some Timothy hay, you know. That's what happened. They're spraying the fields to eliminate broadleaf weeds, which most of your garden is broadleaf weeds. The only things in your garden that are not gonna be affected by aminopyrrolids are like grass family. Because this stuff is made to kill everything but grass. So if you, you grow corn, you don't know. You grow beans, you grow eggplant, you grow tobacco, you grow tomatoes, whatever. Those things, will get all curled up and, and wrecked. So yeah, go ahead and put miracle Grow in your, in your compost tea. It's not anything, it's not any worse than what you're get or, gonna get organically. My gosh. <sighs> Chickens are way more productive than horses, yes. <clears throat> So there you go, Ben. I hope that's helpful. <laughs> kind of get me on a thing here. Bruce and Bear says, hey, David, whatever happened across the street from your property? Well, they, they cleared it and they were talking about putting in, you know, somebody said they were going to put in a citrus orchard. And I was like, oh, that sounds great. And then somebody said, no, 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 they're going to put in a chicken farm. One of those big chicken houses. I'm like, my gosh, I hope that doesn't happen. But anyhow, now that uh, my, my Corona has swept around the world, I think pretty much everybody's going broke. And I really doubt that it gets built because the land was cleared and it's now been sitting that way for over a year. So I don't, I don't think, I don't think it's going to be, I don't think it's going to happen. So it's crazy. Um, 
Karen, thank you very much for the super chat. Thanks for being you. Karen is my like number one encourager. Thank you. I appreciate it. That that pair. I don't look in the mirror like that though. <laughs> I'm so cute. I look in the mirror and I'm like, I wish my mom would give me braces when I was little. Well, there you go. Um. <laughs> Joseph says, homegrown bunny poo, complete the circle, weed them weeds and leftovers. Yeah. Charles says, is seaweed okay? Any contaminants? Yes, seaweed can have contaminants in it. It depends on where it's going through. I was I was doing some reading not too long ago. Some of the, like, if you're getting it Atlantic side, so say you live in, um, you know, Panama or Costa Rica or wherever, and, and it's going through the Caribbean. Some of the Caribbean islands where the sargassum weed is going through still have runoff from some pretty nasty herbicides, and there's some heavy metal issues and stuff like that. And so... Seaweed is, is a bioaccumulator. It pulls up all kinds of stuff. And one of the things it pulls up is, um, is, is pesticides. So some of these pesticides are pretty nasty. And some of the heavy metals are pretty nasty. So if there are polluted places that the seaweed is going past, it will soak it up from the ocean. And the levels can be rather high. But if it's coming, you know, it depends on the drift where it's coming from. Because in some places it's perfectly safe and in other places if it's gone past a place with a lot of nasty agricultural runoff, it will have accumulated some of it. So if you could figure out where it's coming from, I don't know, call the, call the Oceanographic Institute or something, it'll help. So, oh Juan, thank you. Juan Silva sends a uh, uh, $20 super chat and says, we have enjoyed your knowledge. Thanks Juan and Judy, I really appreciate it. Thank you. <coughs> Hey, Sydney. Sydney just planted more yams. Good work. Uh, Mangai Dude says, I'm always tempted to get the piles of manure at the nearby ranches, but then I remember, yeah, no manure is safe anymore unless you know it's an organic farm and secondarily that they have not bought in any, any hay. I, it's really hard to find places where they're not buying in hay. So... <clears throat> Like Lady says, Stephen's skill cult looks super interesting, but he's a dead ringer for the guy I just divorced. Perhaps it will, perhaps it will help me process some not-so-hidden anger issues. Wow. <laughs> That's funny. I hate you! Chastity says, did the ash circles around your baby tomato transplants ever work? Uh, where is this? Uh, to keep the, the cutworms, I guess, I'm sorry, it, it dropped there. Um, have a good night, Scott. Did the crop circles around the baby tomato transplants work to keep the cutworms or whatever off of them? No, not completely. It worked, it seemed to work for a few days, and then I had a few more get killed, so I realized it was not working as well as I had hoped. So it's back to sticking little pieces of, uh, you know, cardboard rings or plastic rings. So you get old water bottles. You go dig in somebody's recycling, you can get enough water bottles. If, you know, if your neighbor's a jogger, take the little rings and stick them there and use them over and over again. <clears throat> Have a Snickers. <laughs> hey, Trinidad. Ed says you should go fund buying that land across from your place. It's not a bad idea. It's pretty funny. 
American Nomad says it's snowing outside. I'm so sorry. Dan says braces are a scam. Thank you, Dan. God bless you. I like my teeth just the way they are. Oh, Carolyn says it stinks that Floyd's manure compost business was put out of business by the manure that he got from the UF dairy place because they spray the grass with that crap. Yeah, I, I know Floyd was providing uh, soil and stuff for a lot of people, and nobody gets warned downstream that the manure has been contaminated, so you got people running entire businesses on it. Black cow compost. Nobody can give me a good answer on that. Uh, Ole Sandok says, any experience planting according to moon phases? I have done some planting according to the moon when people have told me, oh, it's a good moon for planting. Some of the local farmers, a lot of them will plant by the moon, but I have not paid any attention to a difference in results. I've done some reading on it. Uh, I think that the there is some science behind it, behind the pole of the moon, but I, I have not experimented with it myself. I wish I could give you a bigger, better answer on that. I think it's something that we should, you know, we should try and see, but I'm always trying a bunch of things at the same time, so it's hard for me to just say, okay, this year, this is the lunar planting year. I generally just plant when I when the rains are 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 coming and I can I can work with good soil planting in the evening when it's when it's moist. So I don't really pay much attention to the moon. I'm I'm usually like, oh shoot, I gotta plant these things and I just plant them. But thank you for the super chat. Much appreciated. Um Velocity, the running sloth, a.k.a. Sloth Mom, says, Hi, I'm late. A sloth is late? Wow. I would not have expected that. If your name was, you know, the running rabbit, a.k.a. Rabbit Mom, then I, then I would, and you were late, I would, I would be disappointed. But, but I, you're, you're forgiven. You're a sloth. My sloths are, it's okay, it's cool. Hey, Hugh. Um, <laughs> Joseph says, a cold mambo jumbo. The faces on the moon were invented by the Illuminati. You ever think about the face up there watching us every night? Every night. You know, the moon is red. It's red when the fires on Earth are burning. A conflagration. There's going to be a revolt against the moon. You can't control me, moon! <laughs> yeah, Manga Dude says, I would be intimidated to walk down a mountain in the jungle at night. It's interesting. It's exciting. I have a machete with me. So, anyhow, you know what? I should probably... Uh, I should probably call it a night, but I'm going to answer one more question here unless anybody has any more Super Chat questions they want to ask before I, I disappear. I'll give you guys a minute um, if anybody has anything that's like, I really have to have this answered. But uh, Arkex says, I'm hit and miss with the streams. Is there a difference between compost tea and Dave's fetid swamp water? Yes. The The difference is compost teas are generally in it. That's, that's an aerated tea, and the idea with compost tea Usually the way it's done is you put a little bit of molasses in there, you put some organisms, you put in some, uh, you know, you put in a sock full of compost and you bubble it. And the idea is just to breed up a lot of beneficial microorganisms and then take that aerated tea and water your plants with it. And it's good for the plant health. It's good for, 
you know, uh, microbial ac activity in the soil. And the idea is, is that it will also help treat fungal issues and, and fight diseases and that sort of thing. Dave's Fetid Swamp Water, I, I have created that as a way to compost in a barrel or to take a small amount of highly fertile material and spread it across a large area. So it is a fertilizer rather than a soil tonic. You know, you get a little bit of fertilizing power from compost tea. It's not a lot, really. Most, mostly what you're getting is that good microbial activity, and it's, you know, people swear by it. But my goal is to create a fertile solution with as, as wide a variety of stuff as possible in it so I can, I can give a, a good range of macro and micronutrients to my plants. So that's, that's a big difference between Dave's Fetid Swamp Water and compost tea. People are like, that's not compost tea, because I would call it my compost tea, my anaerobic compost tea. But it's, um, it's more of like a swamp water decomposition where I'm allowing a lot of stuff to rot down and, and put as much fertility as possible into it. So, <laughs> Sir Hat, sounds great. Uh, Sir Hat sends a $10 super chat and says, Got too hot to garden, May in Portland, Oregon. So I'm sitting under my giant oak tree with a cigar. Oak trees are so useful. I love I love oaks for um, just for the sheer amount of leaves they drop. It's slow rotting stuff, so it's good for like putting around some beds and things. <clears throat> uh, Indy Canada sends a two dollar super chat and says, a "Neighbor cut up tree, make many logs, make garden bed." Sure. Or uh, what I used to do with the logs. I don't know if you have fruit trees, but what I like to do with them is is put hunks of logs underneath the fruit trees as bunkers for uh, fungi. You know, so the fungi would would grow in the logs and break them down slowly and feed the trees. And what would happen is you would get cool, you know, beetles and stuff living in them. And they would break it down really slowly underneath the tree. And they, they, the area underneath it becomes moist and rich. And so it's like a really slow release carbon and fertilizer for your, for your other trees. Because trees love to grow on the remains of other trees, basically. So, you know, that's what they say. Forest grows on the remains of a forest. If you if you chop if you have hunks of them, I used to just drag home hunks by the side of the road and throw them all through my food forest. But I would put them outside of the main paths and just put hunks of them on the ground to rot. And then there were convenient places to sit and smoke tomatoes, you know, right? So yeah, cool. <clears throat> so uh, you guys have a great night. Thank you very much um, for the super chats, Sir Hat. Ole, Juan, Karen, Grime Knight, Carolyn, Indy Canada. God bless you guys. I appreciate it. It's getting kind of dark to hang out here. J-Mo, thank you. $5 super chat. Much appreciated. You guys um, are so much fun. I'm, I'm glad that I can have these I can have these crazy ideas, and then I find out that you guys have already figured some of these things out and can send me to interesting places and share ideas. And you don't just fall asleep on me like my wife. It looks exactly like Skill Cult. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you guys have a great night. Um, God bless you all. And until next time, if you can see my thumb in the dark, your thumbs always be green. Now I got to stop this thing so it doesn't run for six hours. <laughs>